and welcome back to the Sophos Naked Security Podcast. I'm Anna Brading and I'm here with Sophos experts, Greg Adun. Thanks. I like how you said that. I like how you weren't certain that's the right phrasing you wanted to use about me. It's because me. I said Sophos experts. Yeah, it was different. I see, yeah. <laughs> Just Sophos person. We're here with Sophos we saw experts. Greg. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, Mark Stockley. Hi. Hi. Were you on last week? <laughs> yes, I was. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome and so back. were you. <laughs> Welcome back, Mark. Oh, Welcome back, Greg. Thanks, thanks for having me back. I think and it started really well. How do you think it it's has, going? I feel like I'm being my most professional I've ever been. Yep. Um, also, uh, happy birthday, of course. Not today, not giving away it's your day of birth, but to Alice, Alice Duckett. It is her birthday. We've been sharing some uh, cake and some non-alcoholic uh, champagne in the studio, which she spilled all over the equipment. Um, also, very excitingly, it's... Uh, National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Yay! Happy is National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, everyone. <laughs> I love the idea that there's not really any awareness for National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Did we need you, some awareness not- about the Cybersecurity Awareness Month so that when I'm aware of the month, I can then be made aware of the cybersecurity. <laughs> were you not aware of the Cybersecurity Awareness Month? Greg? I was not aware. You were not aware of the awareness This is me month. becoming aware right now. Oh, well, there you go. Mark, talk to us about it. Well, it's it sort of works in a way, hasn't it? We got one, at least there's someone now who's aware. Well, we need month. to be aware. Now we need to educate you on just why you need to be aware of the Awareness Month. Actually, I've got a question about National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Okay. So National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, it's the it was started 15 years ago, which obviously Greg didn't know. And they do this every year in October. And as you might guess, it's there to raise awareness about cybersecurity. And I was thinking about this earlier. And the question that I have in my mind is, does user education actually work? Because I know that, you know, that's that's kind of what we do and we put a lot of energy into educating users and trying to make them aware. And NCSAM this year is all about um, trying to get people to take personal responsibility yeah. for their cybersecurity. But I have a genuine question in my own mind about how useful user education really is. Because when I think about things that move the needle in cybersecurity and I think about user education, I just think about people's passwords. And if you've ever dealt with somebody in the real world who's trying to choose a password they generally choose terrible passwords yeah you know like decades and decades of user education into password security have had almost no effect and actually you can look at you know if you look at the big problems in in cyber security you know like sql injection attacks on websites phishing through emails mm. password security and stuff these are the same problems that were around 20 30 years ago you know, almost no progress is being made on some of these fronts. So where is all this user education going? What effect is well, it really usefully having? I mean, I think it's two sides to this, right? Because one is that user awareness training, pro, like proactive user awareness training, like mm-hmm. saying, hey, I'm going to tell you all about how you should do passwords and so on is great, but it doesn't anchor in many people's minds unless you had really good training from really passionate people or something like that. So that kind of training often just slips out of someone's mind. A lot of people actually learn better when they've been compromised. Like yep. I'll tell you, I had a friend recently who had his uh, one of his chat apps compromised. Uh, it took him a couple of weeks to get it back. But hey, he's using 2FA now on absolutely yeah, everything. Yeah. Mm. So sometimes that's how we learn. I mean, that's why actually when it comes to like, let's say the products that we make and our user awareness training and something called fish threat is that we train the user upon failure of a simulation of an attack, right? Which means they get to fail at something, experience what it's like. Oh, was that what it was? And usually that helps anchor it in their mind a bit better. And they use that internally, right? So there's people in this company that when they fail, then they 
they have to go under the training and that yeah i think that's when it works i don't think us shouting in people's faces or not us but other people <laughs> yeah you, I, i've got some questions uh, about the way that you're training people <laughs> ah that's where i'm going wrong i don't think that helps however much i tell members of my family to use a password manager they're not going to do it i don't think yeah. it's difficult it also depends on how easy it is i think we if say it's a small change probably a lot easier you I say password sorry to jump in i do you think we should change the phrase password to pass phrase? Because the amount of times someone I've seen people go, oh, I need to create a password. Mm. Elephant. Mm. And it goes, oh, you can't do that. Oh, elephant one. Oh, you've got to have a capital letter. Okay, capital E, elephant yep. one. Needs a special character. Elephant one, question mark. Don't give away your password, yeah. Greg. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. That's just my Twitter. Um, but it, I, maybe it should be passphrase. Like, yep. um, I can't say some of the passwords from our Wi-Fi back at uni, but we used to have lots of right. um, fun, elaborate phrases like about my housemate Dan. It used to be like, Dan sucks various objects all day long. And that was our Wi-Fi password. <laughs> and the thing is, right, we got to the situation where you get someone to come to the house and we don't have guests over. Is it mints? Huh? Mints. Yeah, Dan yeah. sucks mints yeah. all day long. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That'll do. Polos, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, and then when we had someone in the house, new, and then some, they were like, oh, what's the Wi-Fi password? Everyone in the room goes, Dan sucks mints all day long. <laughs> and that... Ah, uh, yeah. So passphrases might be uh, a better way for us to make more secure passwords yeah. that are more memorable, but also a little bit harder to breach, unlike Elephant One. I will, I will concede. I do think that we, I mean, we, like collectively, the whole of cybersecurity uh, kind of evangelism is getting better at user education. I think, as, as Anna kind of alluded to, like how you do it and how easy and usable it is actually makes a big difference. Mm. And I, I saw some great research uh, years ago from Microsoft Research about what actually works in terms of making passwords stronger. And they went through all the sort of standard tropes about how you get someone to have a, a stronger password just to check if they actually worked and found out that half of them don't work. Yeah. And you can actually see the fruits of that research now coming in, like actual real online services are doing things that they recommend, that that research recommended you do, and they've stopped doing some of the daft things that... We just kind of repeated and repeated and repeated. But I I just got a feeling that, are, that the focus is wrong. And I would, I think National Cybersecurity Awareness Month is a great idea. But actually what I want is a national how to write secure code month. Because I think we spend so much time telling users, do this differently, do that differently, get a password, get a password, man, yeah, pick proper passwords. There is so much that organisations can do, for example, to help users who've got bad passwords. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the way that banks deal with passwords, they you don't just type in your password. You know, you have to type in character one, character three, you know, sort of randomised. They do a very good job of making your bad passwords stronger. Yeah. And there's, there's a bunch of other stuff that you can do around how you store it, how you stop people from choosing bad passwords in the first place and things like that. And it's not just passwords. There's also sorts of other areas as well. And I don't feel that enough attention is paid to the, like the evidence is that users don't get better very quickly. Like for all the energy mm. that's put into user education, the broad sweep of users, they're just not adopting the advice with any speed. And so we have to do people writing code have to do a much better job, I think, of worrying about how do we take those problems away from users yep. rather than how do we make better users? 
Yeah, it's actually a really good point because when I was doing software engineering at university, the only kind of safety we talked about was like type safety and the, yeah. the way programming languages yeah. work. Mm. We didn't do secure coding. Yeah, yeah. I have no experience with, um, you know, in the infancy of me learning to code, I had no experience of writing secure code. That's something I had to go and do way later. Yeah. And actually I learned it by proxy of learning to break products. Like yeah. you learn to break other applications and that teaches you, you know, reverse engineering but, stuff. But teaches the thing you is it's, you know, you're writing code, but you're actually writing code using somebody else's code. So you're using an interpreter or a compiler or something. And a whole bunch of those make writing insecure code really easily. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the path of least resistance. So if you use PHP, for example, which is what Ooh. I spend a lot of time uh, using. Sorry. The path of <laughs> Sorry least resistance on PHP <laughs> is to write insecure code. And so it's not just the coding decisions of the coders using the code. It's the coding decisions of the coders coding the code. Yeah. If you see what I mean. If we had... Uh, programs and libraries that made security the path of least resistance, we would have a lot more secure code. Mm. In, in And developers like you at college would not then have a choice about whether they write secure code. That's just the way it's done. Yeah. And we're seeing some moves towards that, right? Remember Mozilla yes. and their Rust yes. programming language and yeah, yeah. trying to build languages which don't have these shortcomings, which result in insecure applications. So yeah. uh, hopefully things just continue to go in that direction, right? Yep. Interesting. Thanks, Mark. That was stimulating. So you, you were saying that my questions can add value to the podcast. I'm I'm sure there's another one coming up later. <laughs> I look forward to it. Greg, uh, you were going to talk to us about Software Labs' latest research. What happened? Indeed. Uh, yeah, so uh, one of our amazing researchers, um, Jagadish uh, Chandria. So Jag, he's uh, been focusing on Android malware for a real long time. So yeah. a real wonderful expert and... and finds just some really interesting problems. But I think they're, you know, uh, so this 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 specific one's really interesting, right? Because uh, Jag found a bunch of apps on Google Play that would, uh, there'd, be have, there'd be simple apps like a QR code reader, a barcode reader, uh, photo editors, GIF tools, yeah. you know, simple, well, ultimately usually free apps, right? And they would have a free trial. Yeah. Right? So you'd install this app, it would show up as kind of being like free within app purchases. And when yeah. you go onto the free trial, it would then say, oh, yep, you know, tap your Google Play thing here and get into the app. And then it would have some basic functionality. But then within like a few days, let's say like a week or so, that trial would end. And then you'd suddenly find out that you'd signed up to a, subs- a monthly subscription for like a QR code reader for like $250 a month. Wow. Whoa. And they didn't know, but the users didn't know. So it, I think it's one of those things, users don't really expect something like that, right? Like yeah. I had no idea you could have a subscription of 250 pounds a month. Mm. Like yeah. I I think uh, like Adobe Creatives Cloud's only like 250 a year or yeah. something like 500 a year. Yeah. Like I can't imagine paying that a month for- Greg yeah. is one of the most expensive software you can think <laughs> I of. Can't think, I, don't, I use a lot of open source software, so yeah. numbers are pretty hard for me. Um, but yeah, it, it, but it's crazy. Like how can these apps mm. uh, be charging so much? And so I think users, A, I wouldn't expect that so when someone says it's free and then it asks you a payment agreement and you're like well fair enough I'll, I'll cancel it but what they also also didn't recognize is that you know you don't like the app you want to install it they didn't realize that actually you had to go and cancel that subscription tell the developer hey i don't want this free trial anymore just uninstalling didn't end this wow. problem and so they would uninstall the app not be thinking about it and then be stung for a couple of hundred dollars at the end of that month um so yeah it was a, a big crazy kind of problem 
Is that is that not illegal? Well, it, it looks like it's more of a loophole in the licensing right, that okay. Google have set in place. Because I mean, it's possible. Mm. Um, you know, I don't know what the res- best response to this would be. I mean, I would certainly think that there should be some more sensible limits set to a monthly subscription. I can't think of a single app that that merits maybe a an in-app purchase of a two hundred and fifty dollar a month. Unless maybe Adobe have found a way to squeeze Creative Suite <laughs> into some kind of. <laughs> Some kind of little phone app. I've been yeah. buying Adobe Creative Suite for all the team lately, so it's, it's been stinging me. <laughs> but at least you get a lot for it. And I they mean, did you tell cannot, me. You cannot they told deny. me how much it would be Yes, exactly. Yeah, they told you in advance what you would pay, and actually what you got is yeah. you get a, a massive you do. amount of very sophisticated software, yeah. not a QR code reader. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But the, what was also bonkers is the sheer volume of downloads that these apps had. So yeah. even though Jag only found about 15 apps... Some of them had like in the you know tens of millions of really? downloads, wow. yeah, and which which is horrifying. If you could think that, let's say even just one percent of that failed, yeah, like the money they must have raked in from this, yeah. And ultimately, it's not like they did anything malicious. These apps, as far as Jack could find out, they weren't dangerous apps. They weren't putting malware on your device or anything like that. They were yeah. just pretty rubbish apps that don't really merit the the, the cost but, that they're but asking Google for. Google have removed them from so the Play Store. About they? fourteen of the fifteen Jag discovered, they yeah. removed fourteen of them or so. At least he was able to identify that they seem to have gone. Um, but this is, you know, this was just, you know, a, a small spike, a small exploration into this kind of problem. Yeah, yeah. We don't know how the true scale of this. Mm. Um, so, I, you know, how this is going to unfold, we don't know. But it's got a lot of parallels. Do you remember like the old supplement scams from, from like, I think there was even one going on at the end of last year. You would sign up for your free shipment of some supplements or some oils. Uh, I like how you're looking so, at me like so going, Greg, you want to sell us oil. Does anyone want some oil? Yeah, yeah. Your essential oils, I'll heal all your ailments. Um, <laughs> there'll, be, there'll be a short commercial break in a few minutes. <laughs> this one's your yang, your lang. Your lang. Um, this is why Greg's on the podcast. <laughs> Sponsor, hashtag spawn. <laughs> But it, uh, those those scams were the kind of same thing. You would sign up for like a seven day uh, free trial of some supplements, and you you could send them back at the end if you didn't want it. Yeah, and many people would do that, but not recognize that. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be a real nightmare to try and cancel the subscription, and then they'd end up with like multiple hundreds of dollars of of subscriptions. Uh, sort of sorry, being taken out of their bank account at the every month and uh, amassing huge piles of supplements that they didn't want. So it's interesting to see. You know, scams we've seen before in, in just, you know, AFK, like in the real life. Mm. And now they're transitioning into these app stores. So, uh, yeah, be on the be, be aware, everyone. And uh, when you're installing an app that's got like a free trial or something, really try pay attention to the, the finer details. Uh, and maybe if it's a QR code reader, maybe it doesn't need to have an in-app purchase. Maybe find one that doesn't need to pay for it or something. I don't know. This is the sort of the dark area of the Google Play Store, isn't it? So, um you were saying earlier, like Jag produces lots of really great research about uh, Android uh, apps. And a lot of it is about stuff that's on the Play Store. But it's what happens on the Play Store is that the crooks have got to try and find ways to live within the rules of the Play Store, or they've got to find sort of loopholes and little cracks and Mm. nooks and crannies that they can hide their stuff in. Because you can't just put a virus or it's very difficult to just stick a virus in an app and put it on the Play Store or put some code on the Play Store it that happens, goes and downloads yeah. an app. It happens. But it's it's difficult, yeah, it's isn't it, right? Certainly. So the the, the yeah. sort of the the low hanging fruit or the lowest hanging fruit for the Play Store until recently anyway was all it was all adware. It was all ways of mm. because you're allowed to have ads in your apps, it was about ways of sneaking ads in that maybe users couldn't see. Um and just sort of using the the app itself, just going click, 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 click in the background to do ad fraud and things like this. And this seems like a new, like the crooks have found a new 
way of okay well if we you know if we if we just do this this and this then okay there's a way we can get money and we're not going to get kicked out or like no it's very difficult to I guess it's stuff that's very difficult to scan for. Yeah, basically. Well, it's that whole problem of T's and C's, isn't it? You know, you yeah. get presented with this long list of terms and conditions when mm. you update your your iPad or something, and it's like, cool. Does anyone really spend the four or five hours it takes to read all of that? And I tell you, who you does? Just, Paul Ducklin. Paul Ducklin. Well, of course he does. He, <laughs> but he prints it out as well and goes and over does, with his magnifying it. glass. He does it for all of us. He does. <laughs> He'll tell us if there's something we need to know. Yeah. yeah. Um. So to reiterate your advice, Greg, it would be. Make sure you know what you're signing up for. Read yeah. the terms and conditions. Yeah, I pay attention when you're installing an app. Yeah. You know, a lot of these apps that are, uh, you know, they're well, not essentially free, but they might have like a free trial or in-app purchases. Do pay attention if it's asking you to, you know, uh, authorize your Google Play like account or it's asking for any credit card details or something. Um, yeah, you know, if any apps asking you to fill in your credit card detail, run away like the wind unless you truly know what it is. Yeah. Um, and especially if it's something like a trivial app, like a QR code reader, uh, a photo editor, a calculator, something that you would expect that to be at least a, a decent free app or something like that. Um, yeah, really pay attention if it's got in-app purchases. Um, it's, it's, you know, you could be in some dangerous ground. And the same goes for iPhones as well. Yeah. Because actually something similar to this happened to me a couple of weeks ago. Really? I needed an, an app. Uh, I just needed an app to do one thing. It may actually have been a QR code reader, actually. But it was just to do one job. And so I thought, well, I'll go and download an app. I'll do the thing and then I'll uninstall it. Uh, and it was, you You got three days free and then you were on a subscription. And mm. it wasn't trying to hide the fact that you were on a subscription. Yeah. But it turns out that, as you said with Android, deleting the app doesn't yeah. itself stop the subscription. Uh, and I, to be fair, I think the, the company who produced this app were quite upfront about that. And they they included instructions about where you could find the subscription but the instructions were actually incorrect. Yeah. And I ended up having to read one of the reviews for the app. Really? Because it was clear from the reviews that lots and lots of people had been stumped by this mm. and ended up on a subscription for, it was, you know, it was a few dollars rather than a few hundred dollars. But nonetheless, mm. people were, weren't expecting it and they were surprised by it. So thoughtful users had actually been putting in reviews right. which had the most up-to-date instructions about where you had to look in your iPhone uh, system preferences in order to actually uh, find your subscriptions and delete one. Mm. But in like in terms of users' mental models of their iPhones and their Android phones, this idea that there's this entirely separate thing called subscriptions that you have to go through five, six, seven screens to find that you never see mm. on your actual kind of home screen that's totally dissociated from the app itself is a it's a really weird. Yeah, you would definitely assume yeah. that you uninstall it and then, uh, yeah. There's a really good bit to a bit to a bit of information there. You said another piece of advice then would be read the reviews of any app before you install yeah. it. Yeah, don't uh, don't give up. Like you know, I mean, I had to root around a bit to find those instructions, but you know. Yeah, I mean, I'm I do the quite same thing. Determined not to have this thing on my Does phone. Does not sound like you, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Were you angry? Uh, I I was angry. I'm not going to lie. I was. <laughs> Thanks for that, Greg. Um, Mark's going to talk to us about a bug that brought Hollywood to a standstill. But first, he wants to start with a question. Don't you? I'm going to start with a question. Okay, that's new. <laughs> I like this bit. We should keep this in, make it a regular thing where he asks questions. Cool <laughs> yeah. idea. That's a great idea. Yeah, yeah, I'll just go that. back and change all the old podcasts. And... <laughs> so my question is, have you ever been blamed for something you didn't do? 
I I, I can't really think of anywhere where I've been blamed for something I haven't done, mostly because I guess I just got caught out and I... But, <laughs> so you've been you've been blamed for lots of I've stuff. I've been blamed so for lots of things. I don't know. What a maniacal laugh. Um, I can okay. I can tell some fun stories. Uh, I was a troublesome teenager. Uh, I did. I got into. The, I, there's a reason I got into cybersecurity. Breaking things was really fun, especially as a kid. Also, so no, I, no no money in the supplement business. No, so, no there's yeah. no money in the supplement <laughs> that business. Came but, but when I was a teenager, I definitely got done at school for the same. Uh, bad thing twice <gasps> what did you do so i may have installed a packet sniffer <laughs> on a computer and done some ARP poisoning any audience who's listening to this is like yeah yeah, yeah. it was cane enable so i, I installed a, a packet sniffer on a, on a school computer back in those days we used to have hub hub networks how i learned about networking which meant that all the packets were pretty much going everywhere on our school network so i sat there and i hoovered up a lot of scary data very quickly and kind of stopped it because you didn't i didn't really expect what you know I was a kid. I was just playing around. Uh, got in trouble for that quite severely. And then it was like a year later, we had some like new, uh, I don't know, year, the, the head of year or something. I get called into his like weird little office, which is, which I think was previously the Greek and Latin library. So it's this tiny little room full of just ancient books that smell interesting. Nice. And I, I get pulled into this room and he shows me this screenshot. And I'm like, I remember that. I got, I got in trouble for that last year. And he's like, oh, well, I can't find any record of you being disciplined for this. And I was like, bye. I, I, I definitely got Seriously? disciplined. So I got disciplined twice for the same thing, like a year later. That's so weird. So, yeah. So, no. I. <laughs> so, so, sorry, to, to summarise, Mark, no. And we should also say, <laughs> don't try this at home, kids. Yeah, don't try this yeah, at home. Yeah, we write stories about people like you, Craig. <laughs> I, I went to the good being... side very quickly. Yes, Good. Tut, tut. No, I haven't, Mark. I'm innocent. Of, I've never been blamed for anything, nor have I ever done anything bad. Continue. Well, let's, let's imagine that you had. Let's okay. imagine that you you understood what it felt like to be blamed for something you didn't do. Okay. If you were such a person, mm-hmm. like Greg, um, then you'd know what it feels like to be avid. So avid provides... Such a tenuous segue, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. I love it. I love it. Keep going. Don't let me stop you. <laughs> avid provides... <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Avid provides editing software for TV and movie production. And around the 22nd, 23rd of September this year, some machines that were running their software started to behave very badly indeed. So Mac Pros, which are those really expensive Macs that look like dustbins. Um, I bet they look like really nice dustbins. They do. They're like Honestly, the I, really I, really I want a dustbin, dustbin that looks like <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Um, yeah, so Mac Pro, the, the, the really good-looking dustbins yep. uh, running uh, Avid's media composer started a kernel panic um, or crash. And then when users tried to reboot them, they got stuck in a reboot loop because it would boot and then crash and then boot and then crash and then boot and then crash. Right. So the old advice of, you know, if you've got a problem, turn it off and on again, in this case, was actually <gasps> the worst thing that you could do. I just watched everyone in the room's like stunned faces. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what are we going to do it now? Always works. That's the only thing. That's like, <laughs> that what do I thing? do now? 50, 50 we're all fired. That's it. IT, yeah. we're over. So anyway, we're talking about Media Composer. Media Composer is serious software. So it's not like not being able to send an email or you not being able to find out what Kylie Jenner's up to or something like that. This is actually. What is she up to? Oh, she's got a new makeup line out. Has she? Anyway, Craig, this is. Did this you know is, that? <laughs> No. No, no, I didn't. Okay, move on, move on. (laughs) So on to lesser issues. So this is, Media Composer is the lifeblood of TV and movie production companies. So you've got all these computers dying in media centres all across Hollywood and the finger is pointing squarely at Avid. Right. 
Uh, and by the way, if anybody is wondering how you should handle a situation like this, uh, if you find yourself in Avid's situation, you could do a lot worse than look and see what Avid did. Yeah, the because video. Because I, I think they actually they handled this very well, like how to deal with a bad situation. How yeah. did they handle it? I kind of missed this story. They uh, they put out a video just of talking to camera. Was it the CEO? It was the CEO, was the CEO and the CEO head of product. The, yeah. Just explain this situation, just sort of straight to camera. It was just really honest and human. I mean, they're a video editing software company. Yeah. So Obviously, they, had a they, they, like they know how to produce ha- yeah. decent videos it looked at good. speed. I'd right? love it if it was just like shaky cam film. <laughs> you know, <laughs> film that, yeah, was it on done on a phone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> well, like none cam- of the media composer <laughs> software worked. But um, I, yeah, I think good. the thing is that if you look at what the CEO said, he didn't actually say very much. Mm. And the product guy didn't say very much either because they didn't know what was happening. But what they did say was really important. They said, we understand that there is an issue. And we are putting all of our resources on dealing with it. And the really interesting thing about doing the video over doing, saying, an email or a tweet or something like this. I mean, I'm sure they sent emails and did tweets as well. But the really interesting thing about the video is that when you're delivering a message like, we understand that this is a problem and we're putting all of our resources on it. When you see somebody say it, you make a judgment about how serious and sincere they are. And I think that's what you get Mm. from the video, that you look at them and you go, I believe what they're saying. This is not... Your phone call is important to us. Yeah. We take security very seriously. This is... Well, also, it's a person rather than just a faceless company Yeah, yeah. It's the CEO stumping up and taking responsibility and saying, yeah, we're looking into this. Yeah, it's not yet another associate press-style, you know, response, right? Where it's just kind of clinical writing and so on. Or just a social media manager that you know has just been given the line. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with social media managers. Yeah, some of them. I have been one in my time. Some of them can be quite good. Yeah, some of them can. The thing is, this had nothing to do with Avid. This is all because of a piece of software that you've probably all got, everybody in this room, and probably 70% of the people listening to this podcast have got this piece of software. And I would wager that almost none of them know that they've got it. Uh, And it's not a bit of malware. It's a quiet little computer program called Keystone, which is Google's name for its updater. The little computer program that sits on your computer and checks every so often to see if one of your bits of Google software, most notably Google Chrome, Mm -hmm. needs to be updated. And the latest version of Keystone, memorably version 1.2.13.75, had a bug. Sorry, so anyone that's got Chrome would have that installed? or Yes, it yes, you, you get it with Google Chrome, mm-hmm. you get it with any piece of Google software, and then it sits there. I mean, it does an important job yeah. because, you know, we're always telling people patch early, patch often, and actually the easiest way to do that is to have a piece of software that does it for mm-hmm. you. Um, Keystone's a little bit controversial because it's very difficult to know that you've got it. It's not like a regular app. It doesn't, it's got no icon. You don't see it in applications. It's just, uh, you know, I guess it's like a service. And it's doing an important job, but it's doing it without you, without kind of broadcasting its existence and without you knowing. And in the case of the uh, latest version, there was a bug and the bug did something very, very bad indeed. It deleted a really, really important file on your Mac. So it was fine on Windows, but on your Mac, it munched... uh, a symlink for the var directory. Right. Now, the var directory, for anybody who's listening who uses Unix or Linux or BSD, 
the VAR directory is one of the critical components of those systems. And Mac OS is built on top of Darwin, which is a variant of BSD, which follows the Unix way of doing things. Um, and you, if you, well, if you go around deleting critical parts of your system, your system stops working. Mm. Does it? Yes, it does. It's really crazy. <laughs> That'll explain why RM-RF really messed up my computer. Interesting. <laughs> yes, it would. It would. And this is only slightly less bad than doing that. <laughs> but anyway, so there's a very important directory called var, and var gets deleted. I don't know why, but this, um, if it's a symlink, a symbolic link, which is like a shortcut, yeah. then this computer program deletes your var symlink, which means, as far as your Mac's concerned, it doesn't have a var directory, and then it no longer works properly. And this affects Mac OS 10.9 through 10.14. And it only affects some Macs because it only affects Macs with a feature called System Integrity Protection, SIP, turned off. Right. So SIP is there to protect you from exactly this kind of thing. Okay. Deleting this nonsense, right? From Yes. <laughs> so it's kind of like SIP is an extra layer of protection. Yeah. And so normally when you're using your Mac... You don't have administrator rights, and and so you don't get to do bad things to your system unless you really, really want to. Mm -hmm. And if you escalate your privileges using sudo, you can become an admin, and then you can do really bad things. Yeah. And Apple decided a while ago, actually, even then, it's very unlikely that you'll actually want to do things like, for example, for example, delete your var directory. So it added an extra layer of protection that even the administrator account isn't allowed to mess with. So SIP protects bits of your Mac, like your VAR directory, from even the administrator user. And the only way there's only some computer programs are allowed to change SIP-protected bits of your system, and they have to be digitally signed by Apple. So in most cases, SIP is protecting Mac users yep. from this rogue keystone updater. But it turns out that people who use software like Avid Media Composer mm. often make use of third-party graphics cards and for one reason or another those guys have to turn off SIP in order to use those third-party graphics cards they have to turn off SIP so people who were not protected by the belt and braces of SIP were the ones who saw this bug and right. that's why there was this predominance of Avid Media Composer users being affected by it but it actually had nothing to do with Avid at all which is fascinating if you think about it like so the Google's Keystone tool was trying to delete a file and it, because SIP was enabled for most users, it would never be able to do so. Yeah, so on so, massive numbers of people. But they've got a tool that's just going out on their computer trying to delete a file and it's failing. How does that not get caught during like quality assurance or we'd be like, oh, it's not deleted that thing. I mean, it's trying to do something. It doesn't succeed at doing it. And that's clearly not important to the running of their tool. <laughs> I, I'm going to hazard a guess that the, the QA machines were running with SIP enabled. Most likely, and, and they've never why. spotted this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can say, you know, there are some very hard-headed people out there saying, well, that's what SIP is for. You shouldn't turn SIP off. But I think it's reasonable to think that, you know, the thing that updates your web browser isn't going to delete the you know, secret your, your thing root partition. Your, or, your web you know. browser. <laughs> exactly. So Google says it has paused the release of this rogue version of uh, Keystone. Right. So it's still working on the fix for this. You can follow this on, there's a... a a thread on the Google support forum, which is, get your pen ready, or thread number 15235262. Put it in the show notes. That was pretty memorable. I enjoyed that number. We could put it in the show could notes repeat as well. it, maybe. Go back to what you were saying <laughs> earlier about, you know, being user-friendly. 
Um, so this is a live issue. Now, there are lots and lots of uh, sets of instructions out there where people are offering help, say, mm -hmm. okay, you can rescue your system if you do this. So there are, um, logically, there are steps that you can go through to sort of reverse the effects of this because it's, it's only deleting a symlink to a directory that still exists. It's not actually deleting the directory itself. However, Google's advice is to reinstall the operating system. Right. So their, their current... Um, really? well, the, the current kind of <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like it's like sorry guys we may have made a big whoopsie <laughs> you might want to reinstall your operating system let's hope you've got nothing mission critical running on this <laughs> slightly bigger than turning it off and so, turning it back on again I, 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 well, it, but it is the next level yeah, of elevation like yeah. if turning it off and on again doesn't work then you do normally you just go straight to reinstall yeah. the operating system it's much easier <laughs> but I think just to to see it from Google's point of view what they don't know is what state people have got themselves into. Mm -hmm. So let's say there's a period of time when these things happen where people had guessed something of what the problem was and they they may then have tried to fix the problem with an incomplete knowledge of what was going on. And so they may well have, they may, I can imagine a situation where these, lots of these systems are in different states because people have tried to repair yeah. them in different ways. Maybe they tried a bunch of different things and the last thing they did worked. Yeah. But you can't account for the 10 things they did before that. Mm. So to get everybody into a known good state, the, the easiest advice for Google to put out is to say, right, just reinstall the operating system. Obviously, it'd be much better if they were saying, we have fixed the update. Yeah, <laughs> don't know. worry, guys. But at least they've paused the rollout of that update. Yeah. Um, but it's not clear what happens with the people who've already got that version, whether or not that's being rolled back. So I think we have to work on the assumption that there are a bunch of people out there who've got this. So mm. don't turn off SIP. Yeah. If this delays the next se a season of Stranger Things, I am going to have a hissy fit. <laughs> <laughs> are they doing another season? Oh, yeah, it got announced. Season four. I'm oh. quite excited. I love retro chic. Oh, I like Stranger Things. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> Mark doesn't because he doesn't like fun. Doesn't like fun. It, it shows. <laughs> <laughs> so most people don't need to worry about, right? No, that's right. It's a very, it's a very specialist piece right. of software. So a few people will be affected by this, but they will be deeply affected by it. Uh, and the best thing for them to do is to uh, follow that Google thread. Cool. Thank you. Um, I thought we should talk about this sextortion scam that won't die. We, um, on Naked Security, every month, we probably publish, what do we publish, 100 articles. And consistently, since we started writing about this in July 2018, we are seeing it in the top 10 art of articles every single month because people just keep getting, I guess people are Googling it because they're getting stung by it. Um, so, you too, have you received one? Oh, plenty. Yeah, yeah all yeah. the time. Yeah, all yeah. the time. Yeah. So I really should get a webcam cover. <laughs> Um, so the first one that we wrote about was the one that was using a password or the phone number. And in fact, most of them do. So they take your password or a phone number, often from a known breach um, that they, they've they got a list of, and they'll use it as proof, in quotes, that they've, they've got, um, they, they're in your, in your computer. And as Greg says, that they've uh, recorded you doing something unspeakable on your webcam while you're watching, accessing some rude content on the internet. There is rude content on the internet, guys. Really, where, where can we find this rude content? Double, um, double, double, you. Full stop. <laughs> Sorry. Rudecontent.com. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so I'll read a bit out. So it says, so let's say your password's uh, Rover. 
I do know Rover is your password. You do not know me and you are probably thinking why you are getting this email, correct? Actually, I placed a malware on the adult videos pornography website and you know what? You visited this website to experience fun. You know what I mean. <laughs> While you were watching videos, your internet browser initiated working as an RDP, remote desktop, that has a keylogger, which gave me accessibility to your display and also webcam. After that, my software program retained all your contacts from your messenger, Facebook, as well as email. What exactly did I do? Then it tells you that it's recorded you on video and it's going to send the video to all your contacts, including your mum, your dad, your grandma, everyone. Um, so then, uh, so that was in July 2018. The Then in October 2018, we wrote about how they were spoofing your email address to make it look as if it came from you and they were telling you that they were inside your email account and that they were then um, going to... So they were in your email account, they had all your email contacts and they were going to send um, send it to all of them. Um, we did a good video on that, Duck did a video on that, which maybe we can put in the show notes as well. But, uh, then still consistently it was being... Yep. Uh, it was... Um, people were searching on it and they were arriving on our site. Uh, so we wrote about another variation... Um, which I think I spoke about on the podcast back in March, um, which was a subject line was final warning and similar sort of thing. They've got your password, they've got your email address, they're going to send it out. Um, so this keeps happening, guys. Um, what do we do? Well, I think it's a great question. Um, it, it just comes back to that idea about user education, mm. doesn't it? Because, I mean, we're kind of, we're laughing about this because it's, to us, it's ludicrous. Mm. But it's only ludicrous to us because... You know, we understand the background to this. We write about this stuff. We know about, okay, well, look, if somebody sends you an email and it's from your address, that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. But actually for an awful lot of people, that's proof. That's good. That's enough proof yeah. that somebody's hacked their email. Just as, you know, when I one of these emails that I got, it used a password that I had used with LinkedIn yeah. back in, you know, 2010, 2011, something like that. There was a massive breach of LinkedIn data yeah. around 2012 or 2013. Mm. So if I was still using that password, loads of people reuse their passwords. If I was still using that password today on other websites, yeah. then it would be very plausible if they somebody said, Oh, I've got your I've hacked your computer, I've got your password. Yeah. It's only because I only use that password with LinkedIn yeah. and I know that there was a breach at LinkedIn that I can say with absolute surety that's an old password. But even even if they didn't, even if it's an old password, it's still a password you use. So there's still that personal connection. Yeah. And if and even if you're a cybersecurity professional, there's no guarantee that someone hasn't hacked your webcam and got a video of you doing rude stuff, unless you you never do rude stuff and in front of a webcam. And even if you do, I mean, we get we've I think we've got 150 comments on yeah, one of these articles. Crazy. Like we get comments all the time. Yeah. People Google this stuff. They come to our article, and, and you know, thank goodness they come to our article and they read it and find out this is not real mm -hmm. um, and we answer these comments but we've had comments from people who have said I never look at pornography on the internet and I was still worried yes mm. like it's it's enough of a threat that somebody says I'm in your computer mm. I'm in your email yeah you know, and we've and they're trying to get you to they're trying to get you to pay Bitcoin. Yes, obviously, aren't they? yeah. The There's whole point a, yeah. of this is to extract money it's from clever, you. Clever social engineering, right? I mean, that's yeah. the reason why. I mean, I, so I had loads of these where the they put your password in the subject line of the email. Yeah. So as it's in your inbox, you're staring at what you think yeah. to be a very secret piece of information. Yeah. I was quite lucky because it was like it was literally a password from 2001. Really? So that, yeah, it was a really old password yeah, that I hadn't was, used on yeah. anything in decades, which is what made it really fascinating for me because I, I ended up trying to dig out what what data like 
what data breach took place when I used that password because mm. that was that was a long time ago. But yeah, I, I think <laughs> the advice on this one's going to be odd because it's like maybe buy a webcam cover so you can be comfortable knowing that someone <laughs> can't have at least done that. Yeah, um, but also just delete the email, I think, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. ultimately, even if they've got it, what are they going to do? I mean, if even if it's real, someone's actually got a video of you doing something a little bit stupid, Yeah. you can pay that ransom. There's no guarantee they'll yeah. delete it. There's yeah. nothing. You should just be, see, you know, if you think it's real, you know, and it doesn't look like one of these kind of spam ones, it looks like someone legitimately has it. Maybe they've shown you a piece of evidence. Contact law enforcement and don't pay them a penny. Don't even reply. Yeah. Um. There's Because there's nothing you can do. And, and if you do pay pay, they're going to then try and milk you for all it's worth and repeatedly yeah. um, fearmonger you over it and so That's on. That's a so. great point. I think, yes, if you pay, then it's a bit like, uh, you know, on, on just on the right side of the fence, some email marketing, you know, if you respond to the email in any way, and actually with some scams as well, if you respond to the email in any way, then they know they've got a live email address. Yeah. You know, there's actually, there's a real person on the end of this. Mm-hmm. And often you, if you're sending out millions and millions of emails, you don't know if there's someone on the end of it because, you know, one of the things that spam campaigns do is they auto-generate email addresses. So even simply confirming that that email address is worth sending stuff to is useful information Mm. to these crooks. The the thing that sort of gave it away for me, if you like, is I think if you read through the emails, they are pretty generic. If you can get over the shock of seeing your password, there's another variation that uses your password as the name of a PDF file. Yeah. So um I'm not sure what advantage that gives them but it's just it's it's another thing that you might see. Mm. But it's it's very clear from reading the email that they don't really know anything about you. It doesn't say what site you were visiting, it doesn't say who your contacts are, it doesn't say it doesn't even say what they're caught you doing. It's mm. just kind of nudge nudge wink mm. wink we've seen you doing naughty yeah. stuff wouldn't it be you know it's kind of classic shakedown mm. and also you've got to apply a bit of Occam's razor so it's much 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 easier for someone to say oh yes I've hacked your computer than to actually hack your computer yeah, exactly. like vastly easier so if somebody says they've hacked your computer the chances are they haven't mm. because either way they're trying to make money from you and and one of those ways is accessible to a much greater number of people than the other yeah and going back to the user education piece maybe like the people that listen to this podcast are likely to be already quite clued up they're likely to know that this is a scam but taking it upon yourself to tell your friends and family like having a conversation my mum and dad have both received this email yeah. and even though it's a bit weird talking to your mum about that you know I'm sure you don't do that kind of thing on your computer mum but yeah. um, it's, <laughs> dad sat there it's, just sweating <laughs> <laughs> it's worth having a conversation with those with with your nearest and dearest too, making sure they don't fall for it. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be going away. And actually, if you no. look at, judging by the traffic to the article, if that's a guide, actually this is becoming more popular. Yes, definitely. And you have to think the only reason that this has persisted for a year is because people are paying. Yes, yes. And yeah. you don't you don't have to have many people paying because it's cheap to send emails, cheap to send thousands and thousands of emails. Yeah. So you don't have to have many people paying to make it worthwhile. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Where can we find you on social media, Mark? You can find me at Mark Stockley and at Internet of Hens, both on Twitter. Greg? Uh, you can find me at, at SecBug on Twitter. That's short for Security Bug, at SecBug. And you can also find me as SecBug <laughs> on Reddit. Yeah, it's not the best username. Uh, it's, it's rather rubbish. You could have a rebrand. I might have to do a rebrand. The worst thing is, at SecBug is the rebrand. <laughs> <laughs> what was it before? It was originally the Security Bug, which I now, oh. in hindsight, was like, that's much easier to say. Yeah, in oh, hindsight. Well. Uh, fewer characters, though. 
Mm. your new one um, I'm at Anna Braiding on Twitter and we are at Naked Security on Twitter and Instagram um, you can tweet us with suggestions for the podcast or you can email us at tips at sophos.com um, you can catch us on Facebook Live every week where we'll be talking about the latest security topics sometimes Mark sometimes Duck sometimes me Greg you haven't been on it for a long time Chogganaut sometimes <laughs> <laughs> sometimes Alice Duckett our producer uh, yeah until next time stay, stay secure, secure.